Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much, so much for being with us here on the program. Uh, we are here three times a week. The podcasts are here 24-7, 365, and then, of course, you can go from there. Uh, and uh, the uh, the broadcasts for radio are uh, 7 a.m., 7 p.m. Sundays, 7, uh, 1 a.m. Monday mornings. And then, of course, the podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, uh, and a bunch of other locations. And uh, there we go. And uh, we encourage you to go to our guest website. We'll be giving you our guest website. We've already given it to you because she's been on the program before. And um, we are also uh, wanting you to join us financially, if you can, uh, to support the work we are doing and helping people to move forward in this world and hopefully to, uh, to make it a better world for, how about everybody? I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, if everybody had the same basic opportunities, I think it would be a wonderful thing. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to talk with a returning guest, and she uh, graciously invited me to a special Zoom event uh, a few weeks ago, and we participated in that uh, and uh, had an opportunity to meet some folks and and uh, connect and, and hear some great stuff from her. Michelle Blood is my guest, and I want to thank you for coming back to tell me your story. It's great to have you back again. Thank you, Richard. I'm excited to be here with you again today. And it was so great to have you participate in our virtual event last weekend as well. It was indeed a lot of fun. I, I had a great time uh, and learned an awful lot. I was unfortunately pulled away at the break. But, uh, you know, the thing that's so great about what we're doing these days is that everything can be recorded, posted and, re and made available for those who, who couldn't make it. And that's really uh, uh, a real godsend from that standpoint. Uh, although, you know, we when you used to travel, I'm sure you might have had a camera crew that was on location there in the in the venue that where you were at that would record it and then make the digital version or whatever version they created, DVD, available to you to either post on your website or to make copies and to, to give to other folks uh, again so that they could go back over it again and again and again. Repetition's important, isn't it? It sure is. <laughs> Repetition is so important. That's why we have to keep repeating things to children so many times and to animals when we're training them. And I don't even like to call animals animals, to the angels that we have. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I know that um, one of the things, speaking of angels, that we talked about on that uh, special event, um, I because I was just putting the word out because I felt like we weren't the only ones going through it. And that was with our beautiful angel dog, uh, Angus, 120 pound uh, black King shepherd. And uh, he's still doing well, uh, still hobbling around a little bit, but he's still doing well. And um, it just kind of put it out there. Our, our animals, uh, and I kind of want to start here, but then we're going to shift to another species uh, are are the animals that we have in our homes our angels as you call them and I like that are they in any way shape or form um, impacted by the diversity I'm going to put it that way in a positive way the diversity of energies that are out in the world today they're extremely sensitive to energy that's in their peripheral that's in their um, aura that's in the home where they live but for the global, uh, for the global energy, not so much. It's okay. just uh, because they're so in the moment. They're so in the moment. So they're sensitive to what's in the moment. If they have had 
a physical injury, they might, the only time you really see uh, an animal recall is if they've had sort of some sort of in physical injury, which has caused them emotional uh, reactions to when they're maybe in that situation again, or think that they're in that situation, they can get skittish. Mm -hmm. So, you know, cause every animal, it doesn't matter what type of dog or whatever you have are born very, very gentle and beautiful. And the things that they do are just in their nature for them to survive. It's like the story of the frog and the scorpion, you know, oh, yeah. the scorpion um, asks to the frog to take him over to the other side of the river and the frog says, oh, my God, but you bite me. You're a scorpion. No, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Please trust me. I can take you over. You're my friend. Okay. So he took him over and just as he was landing him off the end, he bit him. And the frog's dying and he's like, why did you do that? I'm sorry. It's just in my nature. So that's the only time anyone can be, you're not afraid of the animals. It's just that it's in their nature. Yeah. So with animals being skittish or getting sensitive, they are sensitive to the consciousness and the emotions that come out of their humans to their, you know, that's, that's the main thing. So they can really, really feel, or if they go into a room that is a new place, maybe you go on holiday with them and that they will feel the energy of what was in that room before you will, because they are very, very sensitive to energy. But it, the beautiful thing, especially about um, the doggy angels is they are very, very easy to get back into a calm state with love and with keeping that high vibration. Whereas with cats, it's, if they've been abused, like one of my cats that uh, I adopted, she had been in a terrible situations. And so it took three years for me to be able to even pat her. But now I've had it for many, many years and she's the most affectionate thing. So, yeah, it's very interesting to speak about animals and to be aware. If you're aware of your animals and how they feel, maybe that will let you <laughs> look at yourself and go, oh, my gosh, I must be, like, not in a very high state of mind. They they're, they don't seem very happy right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, you say that, uh, um, just using that story as an example uh, for animals, the way that they behave sometimes, it's just in their nature. And that's not something that we can train out of them, uh, take out of them, if you will, because, again, it's part of the nature. And, again, one of the examples or one of the, the ways in which I have been taught to face the different behaviors, both of the cats and the dogs, is not to say, okay, I need to train you not to do that again. It is not that. It is, I need to understand why you did that. And when I do, then I then adjust my behavior to bring out other characteristics of their nature that might refocus their attention so that they're not doing that thing that, you know, like we have cats that love to sit on us and they will, they love to need, you know, and their claws will come out and they, they don't do it on purpose. It's just what happens, right? So we gently will curl the paws under, you know, and we'll pet them and we'll scratch their uh, their cheeks and so forth. And it refocuses their attention. And also it refocuses their awareness that we really do love them. We care about them. Um, but humans, not so much, it seems. Is there an aspect of being human where there are certain aspects that are just... Of our nature. I mean, because that's what some people are saying. 
especially today. Oh, the, 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 the warlike nature. That's just part of human nature. There's nothing. We can't do anything about that. To which I'm thinking, well, then why do we send our kids to school to learn? Why do we have therapists and psychologists to help us work through this thing, that thing, and the other thing? Why are there healing practitioners that we've had on this program who work on an energetic level and a spiritual and metaphysical level to help people to uh, stop doing some of the things that they've been doing because it's blocking them from living out their life's purpose? Can you can we start there with the, this whole thing? Because it's very perplexing in one sense. I would love to because I talk a lot about the different levels of consciousness. And if we want to sort of start out with this conversation, because I think it's a very, very fascinating conversation that people that haven't even come to me and said, you know, they're not in a debate or anything, but they've said, you know what, when I heard what you said about the human experience and the different levels of consciousness, that actually struck me as true. And then they want to get more interested in what it is because at an unconscious level, we all want to be free. We all want to be happy. We all want to be of service to other people. When people are in trouble, the neighbours come out that you may not have ever, ever met before. People are really wonderful. So when we talk about the human experience, let's talk about what I call the first level of the sea of unlimited consciousness, which is the human experience. So at this level, we've got to use the uh, the sort of talking about are you a good swimmer or not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so at this level, we're paddling on the shores of the sea like little children will. We won't let them in because they're going to drown because they haven't learned how to swim yet. We're not aware of a higher power perhaps, so maybe we're a little interested other than what we've been taught to believe in school or church. Some of us may feel spirit abundantly, when we were like young, but then the world's density of matter, the Maya, the collective consciousness educates and clogs up our true diamond, our true self, our pure consciousness. And that comes, that comes our awareness of that happiness of that peace of, you know, as we start maturing, we are grown up now and we don't wish, you know, we don't want to delve into such silliness, you know, because we're living in the real world, be real, do what you need to do, be practical, be logical. So at the human experience at that level, we don't really feel or think about God unless, you know, soul. We don't really get deeply into mysticism. We may think we believe in a higher power, but we don't truly contemplate it with our busy lives, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. We might go to church out of habit, but it's all, you know, what the neighbours will think. Probably not so much these days. People aren't judgmental if you don't go to church anymore. Yeah. And we may think we, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I love God. I love my church. But we may be a person who reacts strongly because you really do go to church a lot if anyone doesn't hold our same belief systems. So when people are very reactionary in this way, they come from fear. It's not love. And we're mostly concerned with ourselves and our human experience when that is going on. Who's doing what to whom? Who agrees with us is of paramount importance to our ego, to our belief in ourselves. So some say they have faith, but then when someone debates if a God even exists and perhaps they're very, very spiritually, you know, like a born-again Christian and they really like doing their best to knock on doors and say, you're going to be saved, I can save you. So when 
they someone debates it, they can get very angry. Why? Well, if they had true faith, they wouldn't be reactionary at all. And that it's not just to do with um, someone's belief system. I mean, I was talking to someone about the law of attraction and she got so angry when I said, look, it doesn't work for everybody if you're all clogged up with your old habits, your old belief systems, because that diamond, that consciousness that you are, is already becoming reactionary because you are in fear. And once we can release that fear from you, well, then you will have a stronger intention. But at the moment, the moment you're in fear, you are building up a wall in your consciousness and the things that you want to have an experience or what these people call manifest in their lives isn't going to if there is fear. Fear is a huge, huge brick wall. And everyone knows worldwide that, you know, we've got to let other people live their own lives. Debating is what starts wars and corrupts innocence. And some people never get past this level. And they sort of stand on that safe shoreline. Oh, it might be too cold to get in. And they just, they're there to judge because they don't want to have a deeper look in, into their soul, Richard, because it's scary. Like Wallace D. Waddles, he was an amazing soul. He wrote The Science of Being Great and The Science of Being Rich. And I actually did two audio books on those two books because some people said they didn't quite understand it. So I decided to, after the end of each chapter, to, to go into it in very, very simple terms so people could understand it. And he said, all is right with the world. It is perfect and advancing to completion. All men and women everywhere in good and perfect we're just in the process of becoming. And I agree with that. Everyone is in the process of becoming. And I think this is such a beautiful way of looking at each other and our world, as opposed to always looking at what's wrong or what's negative or what needs to be fixed, especially people that are at that level. They're always looking at what can be fixed in others, wanting to be controlling of things because they're, they're in fear and then they know they're not in control, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, before we go any further, I uh, have two things I want to add to what you've said. Number one is that uh, this is 2020, the year of perfect vision. We've been talking about it for months. We will continue to talk about it for months and uh, encouraging people to go within. And we're going to talk about that a little bit next as well in this in this respect. Number two, and I didn't tell you this before we started this program, but we are celebrating on this broadcast and and this particular weekend of the broadcasts on the radio program, we are coming to the end of our 13th year and beginning our 14th year of Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for New World. You are part of that sort of anniversary uh, programming that uh, we I, have, I am putting together here. Yay. And uh, I am seriously uh, uh, concerned about the fact that even though the majority, if not all, of my guests uh, for the last few months into 19, uh, 2019 to 2020 have all been very, very optimistic. If you look at the outside world, you don't have a whole lot to be optimistic about because the focus is on the news, the numbers, uh, the conflicts, the protests, the... All of that stuff. Uh, now we could refocus our focus on nature and animals and some of the miraculous things that are happening around the world because man isn't 
traveling about and doing the things that he normally does to muck up the the planet. But it seems to me, uh, and I, I would like you to address this in, in one fashion, because I want to talk about our intuition or that still small voice or the higher self, the divine self. The way you've kind of described uh, our nature, that's sort of our emotions and our physical activities that are driven by our emotions. But then you have the consciousness, which, again, I'm compartmentalizing. They're not separate, but for this example. And if we're in the process of raising our consciousness, does that in turn help us to work through those emotional uh, aspects of our quote unquote nature that those are no longer part of our nature? Is that how we transcend the natural part of being human, uh, you know, the flight or fright, the survival mode, you know, that kind of thing? Yes, I love you so much. That is so perfect, Richard. It really is. It's all about consciousness. Soul or consciousness is our higher self and it can transcend everything. I mean, I love the great mystic Joel Goldsmith said, the day will come when if you know enough about consciousness, you can leave everything else alone. For in the word consciousness and the spiritual understanding of it is contained all the knowledge that is to be known about God, man, and the universe. So those that are seeking to know truth uh, are always doing everything that they can to gain more consciousness. And we're not actually gaining consciousness. What we're doing is we're dissolving the old doubting mind and the lower evolution. So we're coming to a faster vibration in our consciousness, which is actually taking away. We're not gaining. It's already always been there. Mm -hmm. Our pure, infinite consciousness has always been there, but it's been blocked. It's been blocked by people worrying about things, having too many emotional situations, not having the fulfillment in life that they want. But those who deeply, really, really want to know about how to melt down that ice around their beautiful diamond, it's so easy to do it if you just make a decision that you want to do it. Because raising our awareness or gaining higher consciousness, what we're saying is we are doing our best to consciously connect with our divine self so that we can become one. And we just don't realize it. We may know it intellectually, but we don't know it unless we can feel it. Mm -hmm. So we're always striving to have more and more moments of peace and knowingness. And then as we do that, our awareness becomes clearer and we slowly begin to melt away the ice and to feel our connection with life itself, with spirit, our beautiful soul, which can tell us what's been truly going on. And I love what it says in the Bible. You know, God is closer to me than breathing, closer than hands and feet. Eternity, God is inseparable and indivisible because we won. And whether we believe this or not doesn't stop it from being true. Mm -hmm. Those who live in the realisation consciously find that any opposition that's coming into their experience or in the world will disappear. They won't be reactionary. They'll still see it and they still may be part of it, but they're not reactionary. They're not, they, don't, they don't become it. They're more of a witness to it. And that's the secret of the true spiritual consciousness of life is to be a witness of it. 
to meditate on being connected with the truth of what's going on in the silence. This is where true consciousness can be experienced. This is where we are alive and our inner vision will open us up and we won't need to listen to what other people are saying about what's going on. Our experience will be our truth. It won't be what's going on in the rest of the world because there are 7.8 billion people on the planet now, which is insane. When I was a kid, there was like 4 billion. I mean, it's just doubled. So, yes, I'm 200. Yes, it's doubled. <laughs> but it's just, you know, it's crazy to look at the evolution of consciousness. Everyone thinks that we're in such a high evolution on the planet right now, and we're not. So if I'm understanding the way you've described it, the, 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 if, we, if we set aside the word level of consciousness, consciousness just is, and it is, uh, it, it's, it's um, okay, it's like a, 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 let's use a pie chart, okay? What's happening throughout our lives, if we are consciously aware that we want more out of life, that we want to be more of, of a service to humanity, and so on and so on and so on, that we become more aware of the additional, shall we say, slices in that pie chart. Because the pie chart, the, the consciousness, though it is f infinite, uh, so, that we can so that we can kind of put a, a picture to it, we're just becoming more aware of it. Is that what I'm understanding? Yes, yes. Okay. But but the way the way that people are becoming aware of it, and if you hear munching in the background, it's <laughs> it's it's my cat <laughs> eating, having its little crackers. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> and and was, welcome, welcome to the program. <laughs> yes, Angel. Yes, he's very happy with himself. He just scared the crap out of a little squirrel that was eating outside. No. You know, we call it cat TV. They can't hurt the squirrel, but they can watch them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Very proud of himself. Anyway, the squirrel came back and finished his lunch, so that's good. But anyway, yeah, it's um, pure. We are, of course, as you said, infinite consciousness. We are immortal consciousness, but people are becoming more aware of it because when I first started teaching all of this 30 years ago, people were, oh, that's a bit out there. Okay, the affirmations are positive thinking. Yeah, that's been around. I can understand that. But now she's getting into some woo-woo stuff that I really don't think is my cup of tea. Yeah. But now people are, there are definitely people on the planet that will still say, oh, well, that's not the truth. And there are other people that will say that you will resonate with. They will be in your periphery because of the fact that you're resonating with them at a unconscious level through your consciousness resonating at a similar oscillation or vibration. So, you know, and one simple way for people to see whether they are actually awakening more in consciousness is to notice to be aware as you said it's always good once we true mindfulness mindfulness the word is just thrown around willy-nilly these days mm. and people think they're such experts but true mindfulness is a true awareness is to truly notice if we are becoming less reactionary when we react our ego is still the one in power over our lives yeah. But yeah. when we notice that we are becoming more of an observer to what's going on rather than a reactor, we are gaining awareness. We are opening up our consciousness more to that higher self. We respond. We're in the moment before we react. And then our actions that follow will be right actions. And you won't have to live your life 
being disappointed in yourself or others for getting over emotional about something that may never happen. Well, they do say that uh, 90, if not more, percent of what we worry about never happens. True, yeah. true. And uh, however, there are certain things that do happen, and one of them is commercials. Uh, taking a break for uh, just a brief uh, moment for us to, to take a little bit of a pause. We hope you'll stay with us. My guest today on the program on these anniversary broadcasts, this particular one is Melissa Blood, and we are uh, talking about the human experience, and we hope that you will stay with us here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We will be right back. And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, uh, Melissa Blood is my guest here on the program. Uh, No, wait a minute. It's Michelle Blood. What am I talking about? Uh, Melissa (laughs) Melissa Blood is a long-lost relative, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, from the Viking tribe of the Norsemen who who attacked my family's village 6,000 years ago. And that's why I'm here today. Uh, One of the... (laughs) Stories. Oh, aren't aren't creating stories a wonderful thing? It doesn't matter whether it's true or not. I can make you believe it. Yes, I can. <laughs> I have the DNA to prove it or not. One of the two. That's something else that's interesting. DNA. Now, they say that that is the information code. There's no other purpose for it other than it's all the information about myself as it has been compiled for me as an individual from my ancestors, because you know we we get our own new for you know our new new information, our unique information uh, that's compiled from our parents and of course their parents and down the line. Um, is there a way in this process of becoming more aware of the greater consciousness? And part of me feels as though. That also alludes to um, something that uh, Dr. Schrodinger talked about, that there is only one mind. There aren't 7.8 billion minds. There's only one. Is that the same thing as consciousness, uh, as we're talking here? Uh, And I'll let you address that first, but I'm going to throw this one out so I don't forget it. Is there a way for us, uh, let me back that up. Is the information in our DA, DNA of any influence in our becoming aware of the greater consciousness or one mind? No. <laughs> okay. So we've answered the second question first. Uh, so what about, or is that the same answer to the first question as far as uh, the one mind is the consciousness that is out there? Okay. It's a really good question. And I always say kiss, keep it simple and spiritual. So Mm -hmm. I'll do my best to explain it in uh, simplistic terms because everything, when we make things too complicated, we go down a rabbit hole into metaphysics instead of just directly straight into the mystical, which is always simple. And people attempt to understand things that they haven't actually had an experience of. And that's very, very challenging because the mind of the human, the human personality, the human experience, that particular mind uh, is part of the collective consciousness. It's not the God mind. It is the human brain. And it is part of the collective consciousness that uh, Hindus and Buddhists call the Maya. 
the collective consciousness. We think we are thinking our own thoughts when we're just thinking the collection of everyone else's thoughts that have ever been here. So whenever we're thinking of doubts or we get, you know, the hundredth monkey theory, we start thinking, oh, wow, that would be cool to do that. You know, the monkeys start learning how on one island how to crack a nut with their rock and then the next island over, they start doing it. That's how it works with the Maya, with the collective consciousness. Once someone has learnt something in one tribe, another tribe in a totally different area, they take it on as well. So that's how... Uh, that type of evolution has come right around the entire planet when you see someone's learned how to light the fire. It just happens that way and it has been happening that way for many, many thousands upon thousands of years. And so, but there'll always be in that particular tribe or that wherever that person is, that, that tribe is, there'll be someone who goes into a higher consciousness and that is beyond the realm of the vibration of the Maya. And that is what the one the one mind is. I call it the infinite presence. Every single person on the planet wouldn't be able to move, live, breathe, or do anything unless they had that infinite presence, which is the divine consciousness. It is your higher self. It is the same higher self that is in every single person, child on the planet. It is the same higher self in every animal, every angel that we call animals. Mm -hmm. And it is the omnipresent it is omniscient which is all wisdom it is omnipotent it is all power all creativity and once we unblock our perfect diamond our beautiful soul that's been inundated with all the crap from the world and the maya and all the um, cultural upbringing the belief systems we're supposed to believe in what our parents said the dna said well once we rise above that well then um we are then out of the realm of the Maya and we are in the realm of the divine mind. Okay. So this is something that is taught by a wide variety of different philosophies around the world, going back thousands of years in many cases, right? This is, oh, yeah. this is really nothing new other than it's being brought to the forefront. Shall we say it's being, uh, made mainstream as it were which i think is great yeah. however i think it's wonderful for people to begin to be aware because if they begin to be richard if they can begin to be just a little bit aware that okay i don't think it's impossible so therefore what they're saying could be possible something within me my higher self can really look after my life go before me and prepare the way if i can melt away the rest of that stuff i can Maybe I should be, I don't shoot on myself. Maybe if I can begin to practice meditation, open my heart to that God mind instead of just my human brain mm -hmm. and willpower, perhaps I can awaken to a, Maybe that mind can help me release my, my mind so that I can go deeper into the core of my true being because I've been told by people that I, I really choose to believe are not lying to me that there is that blissful silence that I can begin to see and feel, that I can begin to attract good, allowing that divine that is within me to attract that good because it's already here, everyone. Yeah. And you've just got to let go and surrender and go within. And as that begins to clear away, even more clogging from that diamond, from that emotional body through practicing meditation, we become more sensitive to our 
true inner feelings, not the emotional judging ego part. And we things from our past may come up out of our emotional bodies, memories that we've pushed deep down inside may begin to emerge, but that's gonna happen if you've been after so many years of people pushing down their emotions, it begins can begin to feel very, very uncomfortable. But it's so worth it, people. It is so worth it because when you come out the other side, literally you're in rainbow land. Hello. (laughs) You become a very powerful being because you're not worried about yourself anymore or ego. You are there to be a very aware, powerful being to assist. You have the strength. You can swim out to that sea and save people that are drowning in their suffering. Yeah, and that's another part of this whole process, isn't it? And that is that, A, we're not alone in this process, and B, when we become, when we do get into that level of awareness, we realize not only am I not alone, but I also have to be about helping others to rise up too. But there's there's no... There's uh, it's not a question of uh, unlike and I, I can't help but use this example. It's not like many of the Christians that I knew back in the 80s and early 90s who would go around proselytizing, saying you're not saved and let's get you saved if you believe in Jesus. And they would just I mean, they would just hammer away at you. No, this is a process where the individual is realizing, you know, I, I want more out of my life. I want to be a better person. I want to raise my consciousness or, or as we've discussed, I want to become more aware of the whole of consciousness. Uh, I need to find a mentor, a master, someone who can give me a little guidance. How does someone find that guidance? And is it the answer I've already given? We just have to go within Again, a very good question. As I, um, as we spoke, if people want to listen to the last podcast I did with lovely Richard, we can, this is Melissa Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> call me anything, darling, as long as you call me. <laughs> okay, I will call you. So, so, <laughs> so, so how do we go about that process? So this is what I did. I can only ever speak from my own experience. Uh, I was traveling the world and working with so many of the greatest teachers and teaching myself. I was working with Bob Proctor, Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Tony Alessandra, Stuart Wilde, just some of the most amazing, irreverent and beautiful people who really were learning, teaching from their own experience. However, I wanted to find someone who knew God because I had reached a level of such, I'd taken away so much of the sludge around my soul around my heart, around my consciousness, all I could feel was this pulsating energy through me and I had to find someone who knew God. I didn't know if it was called enlightenment or self-realisation. I'd read autobiography of a yogi and I loved the way Yogananda talked about travelling the world after his self-realisation, travelling the world looking for others so he could be with like-minded people that were actually self-realised. He Mm -hmm. said it was very challenging. Many people thought they were and they weren't. But he did find some and he said it's a beautiful thing to resonate with someone who's awakened when you are. And so I wasn't fully awakened yet, but I wanted to find someone who knew God so that I could awaken. And so I traveled to so many different countries searching for a specific person because I'd read about this and I knew that 
I needed help. I needed someone that could transmit light. I, I had had plenty of information, plenty of practice, but I couldn't do the rest on my own. I had worked really hard to get to where I was and I was killing it financially and in every other area. But my, I, want the, I wanted that love that I was feeling yeah. <laughs> to, you know, I was soul sick for that awakening. So eventually I did. You know, when you really, really are searching for something sincerely, you're a sincere student, you're a sincere lover of the light of God, whatever you choose to call it, your highest self will take you to the teacher, will just take you. So many people have um, have come to me after I had my awakening through so many weird, they, they just come up with these strange, what they say, weird stories of how they got to see me. And they were like, why do I feel like she's a teacher? She's just this little blonde Aussie chick, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But then they feel the light. They feel the vibration and they're interested in more. They hear what I'm saying and they say, well, I think I believe what she's talking about. So I met um, this American lady, this amazing teacher, after years of searching. I had been searching for 20 years when I met her, 18 years actually. And um, so it was a little, I had met people that were enlightened, don't get me wrong, as in my travels, but it wasn't my teacher. Everyone has their own soul type, their own lineage, and you can feel when the teacher, you know, you've got to feel comfortable with them, you've got to sort of like them, um, you don't want to feel like, you know, some people prefer a teacher that it's all Zen discipline and all that crap, but I would never like anything like that because I've always been a very independent free spirit. And she was so irreverent and amazing. And that is how I found it. You have to, you have to look, it's not just going within. That is the work that you've got to do. But sometimes you've got to actually, when you feel guided, go within first, when you feel guided, take action because I can see all the different countries I went to and all the different things and how Bob Proctor would send me out to America to do events with him was for me to sort of say to get to be in love with America which I did fall in love with America and Americans was for me to want to live here so that I could meet her Mm -hmm. oh Oh, yeah well I have to tell you that that um, I have had uh, incredible encounters with um, some some really beautiful people. And then there have been situations where I have missed opportunities to have encounters for various reasons. And sometimes I look back and go, and what makes it even worse is the person has since passed on. They've transitioned. And it's like, oh my God, how could I have missed that opportunity um, you know, and, you know, obviously there are all kinds of reasons why, but it's like, I so wanted to meet this person. I mean, not, not to say, oh, I was in the presence of this holy man. No, it was because the interviews that I had had with him on the phone in particular, cause that's how we were doing them. Uh, uh, that's how he and I were doing them that I thought I would really love to meet this man in person and experience that connection and that dynamic that kind of goes to what uh, James Redfield talks about in Celestine Prophecy, about the messages that we have for one another. And sometimes they're uh, directional, if you will, messages. Sometimes it's just uh, someone says something to you and boy, it just, it lights you up. Or it, it says, oh, I get it now. And or, you know, there's that aha moment and so forth. Um, talk to us about 
and I'd have to maybe throw this in there, the frustrations that I know a lot of people are feeling right now in regards to, to some degree, the inability to be able to really connect closely, more than six feet, less than six feet uh, in this time with people who uh, are waiting for them, who have these messages and they're not going to cross paths out on the street or in the grocery store or or out 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 and about because of what we're going through right now. How is the universe handling that from your perspective? What's what is uh, what is that t- dynamic for us spiritual beings having a human experience and wanting that human connection that actually tends to what feed our spirit a little bit? It it it. It energizes our souls. Your thoughts. Sorry, I didn't realize my mic was off. <laughs> I just wanted, didn't want the munching to be noisy in your ear. In no, cat. no, I'm he, not even hearing it. No worries. He, he finished now. That's a really, really good question. And I just feel that it is, um, you don't have these days, because of what's happened, more and more teachers and people are getting out there doing podcasts, doing virtual events. I mean, there's just amazing things happen. People that would not normally, uh, even my teacher who's not teaching anymore, she decided to get all of her, you know, just a few of her old students to get together on a virtual event just a couple of weeks ago just because she wanted to connect with everybody and catch up with everyone because she's doing different type of work to bring light to the world now rather than do, you know. And um, I just think that, Every time it seems like if you really look at history, every time you look back at something that's happened that seems horrific or even something that's happened in someone's own life that is problematic or deeply hurtful, like my my near-fatal car accident was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. If we can look and reinvent ourselves and just go on your inner guidance and, you know, do a bit of searching, you know, I definitely would recommend that, you read some books or listen to some audio books that are from people that have either left the body that are enlightened or enlightened now so that you can awaken to that. I mean, I highly recommend Swami Muktananda, Play of Consciousness. He's left the body now, but he was such a highly enlightened being. And the minute I read his book many, many moons ago, I could feel the light transmitting through it. Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. Uh, There's so many different uh, amazing situations and you just go and feel what you feel. You can go to our website, themysticalexperience.com and have a look at what we're doing. You could go to um, Bratso from Croatia. He doesn't teach, but he transmits light. Absolutely amazing. B-R-A-C-O, Bratso from Croatia. Um, there are some other teachers that I know. They're not actually teaching, but they've written books and you can find them. And you just got to go on your own guidance of what's going what's going to feel right to you. Mm-hmm. Mother Mira, she doesn't teach per se, but she's a highly enlightened um, lady from India who actually lives in Germany, Mira, M-E-E-R-A. Uh, there's just so many. Uh, and you just go and find out what, appeals to your soul because your soul will tell you oh this feels good i'm going to oh this is going to be a blessing i'm going to get light transmitted to me i'm going to 
you know, but I highly recommend that you can find someone, even if they're not completely awakened yet, that can at least, they're in a high state of consciousness, they come from sincerity in their own experience, and that they can teach you, give you guidance on how to practice meditation. Because it really took me so long having to learn all of this stuff on my own, uh, through my own experience. As soon as I had my teacher, things just zoomed up so fast. It was unbelievable the experiences that I started to have and my gratitude to her is forever and always well I I have to share a story very brief one uh, regarding autobiography of a yogi which uh, has been for the last uh, 43 years my metaphysical primer and I read it back in my teens at that time being legally blind I was listening to books on records. This is long before Audible was ever a thing, okay? So <laughs> I've, I've been ahead of the curve for years. Be that as it may, I have it on my, on my phone, the Audible version that I listened to back in the 70s, and I was so gratified to hear that, uh, that Steve Jobs, the only book he had on his phone was Autobiography of a yes. Yogi. I have, I have read it hundreds of times. Um, and also I have been, uh, able to connect with various, I'll, I'll say it branches of that tree because we have a, uh, a monastery here in, uh, I believe it's, um, either Summerland or, uh, uh, Montecito could be Carpinteria as well. But anyway, it's up in the hills, uh, of the self inquiry life fellowship. And it's uh, with a guru, uh, uh, who, whose masters are, uh, the lineage of Paramahansa down through Sri Teshwar and and Lakiri Mahashai and so forth, as well as um, other other outgrowths. And we even he and I, uh, his name is Swami Vidya Deshananda. You know, it only took me a couple of seconds to figure out how to say that, and I was so happy that I got it right. But we talked about that, and he says, "Yes, you're right. It is just a branch off of the same tree." But really, all philosophies are that, that are leading people towards this process. And you, you talk a lot uh, about a, a particular aspect of that teaching of, of the kundalini energy, that energy that travels up and down the spine. Share with our listeners, if you would, a little bit about that. And, and even if you could, maybe uh, some of your experiences of enlightenment, if you will, uh, through the process of utilizing the kundalini energy? Well, this is something that I really didn't know about until I met my teacher. Even though I'd read a, I'd read a couple of stories about people that had had instantaneous kundalini awakenings because I always found it interesting. It's like when I read Swami Muktananda's book, Play of Consciousness, which I highly recommend to you, Richard, uh, it's on audio. It's on many, many languages. And he talks about his enlightenment experience and how he had searched all over India to find his teacher because he knew he had to find an enlightened teacher that was part of his lineage because you have to go on. You feel it when you find your teacher because it is part of your lineage. It's where you've been in past lives. And you may love and appreciate many, many teachers of enlightenment, but it may not be your lineage. When it's your lineage, you can feel it. You can absolutely feel it. And that's why Babaji, who is um, started many different lineages from that great being Babaji, who still lives in on the planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's all about Kriya Yoga. 
And uh, I teach Kriya Yoga and I teach Chakra Meditation as well because even though my teacher didn't teach Kriya Yoga, it was something that I remembered from my past. So Yogananda in his books would talk about it, but I just knew how to do it. It was something that just came to me spontaneously about how to clear the uh, Ida and the Pingala along the side of the spine. So you have this beautiful Kundalini, this blood force, this high frequency that every single person is born with at the base of your spine. And we've got to entice that up. And along the base of the spine, parallel to it, is this tube called the Shashumna. And it is part of your ethereal being. And it lives, as the Kundalini does, where you, your true soul lives in the eternal, in the divine dimension. And so to awaken that Kundalini has to, that Kundalini is there to scrub clean the Shashumna. Mm -hmm. The Shashumna gets blocked energetically, energetically blocked by all the emotional things that we've been through, through, through doubts, through fears. It's like a sort of a sludge and you can't, and the Kundalini is trying to get up there and the, the reason the Kundalini has to go up there is because we have all of these main chakras and they are energy vortexes or energy like a doorway into different divine dimensions. Mm -hmm. And we have to enter those doorways and have those experiences to be able to become fully enlightened so that the Kundalini will eventually rush up to the crown chakra to fully awaken us. And so as a teacher is transmitting light to you, they, the energy that comes into your brain is almost like a magnet enticing that kundalini up. You can start feeling tingling in your brain once you begin to be less blocked. Some people can feel it immediately. Some people it takes a few months to be with a teacher to feel it. And then the vibration, the whole body starts vibrating because that kundalini is scrubbing everything clean, not just up the shashumna, but in the different meridians. You can start feeling like you've got your heart beating, your feet and your hands, and it's a pretty intense experience. And eventually once your heart chakra, my heart chakra was already partially activated. That's why I used to feel like my heart was coming out of my chest. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I would say to people, can't you feel the heart glow? I thought everyone had heart glow. And so when my um, when the Kundalini completely activated my heart chakra, I went through, if you have ever seen that TV show or the movie The Stargate, I went through oh, yes. something similar to mm -hmm. that. But wow. it's so intense. It's like the roar. I mean, the rush, the roar, the buzzing. And you just go, zhoom, you're just gone. And, um, and then I entered into different, I don't know what they were, universes or whatever, and every time I would start feeling like, oh, what's this? I would zoom, go straight back into my body. So this went on for quite a couple of, you know, quite a few months, nearly 24 months until eventually uh, my third eye was opened completely. I started going into other different di divine dimensions, spiritual, beautiful beings, um, including Babaji would come to me and it would be psychically teaching me. And then my crown chakra eventually opened. The sky just opened up and there was no more person to witness it. But it took me quite a few years to be able to navigate the world again. I didn't teach. I, did, I wanted to experiment with making sure that I could transmit light. Even though I knew I was awakened, I didn't want to go and teach students unless it was the correct purpose for me to do it. And my teacher said it definitely is. But even even then I said, no, I'm going to wait until I know that I can actually assist and 
have that light transmitted to others. So I experimented for free with students for a while before I started the mystical experience. And there are many, many other things that I could speak about, but some of them are a bit too personal and the divine through you will tell you what you can share (laughs) and what you can't. And, and that's, uh, that's just discernment on that, on the, on that end there, that there are certain experiences that are meant to stay private just between you and this, and then the spirit world, if you will. Uh, my wife actually has a, an ohm symbol that she had um, uh, tattooed on her lower back at, at that position. Now, most people going to get tattoos, not a big deal. When you start messing with that spot, she was wiped out energetically for about a day or so because that is the seat of that energy. And she's very familiar with it. She used to work with uh, a gentleman by the name of Sunyata Saraswati, who was the co-author of Jewel in the Lotus. Uh, and uh, she worked with him back in Phoenix, Arizona, back in the late 90s. And uh, I got to meet him as well. Uh, and it was, it was really an extraordinary experience. Uh, she actually was given a name. She asked him to give her a new name, which she did, which he did. And then she legally changed her name to that. Um, sometimes you find people like that. Now, I'm the kind of person, uh, Michelle, who, uh, yeah, I've read a lot of books and I've met a lot of people and it's been a great, it's been great fun. There's never been anybody thus far that I've been that interested in that I want to quote unquote follow. You see, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's like, it's not that I, that I find that concept abhorrent. It's that it's, nobody's ever clicked with me. And I've been searching for, as I said, for 43 years, uh, maybe a little bit before that, uh, 16, 17 years old. I mean, I've met some extraordinary people that I'm glad were in my life. Uh, I wish they were still in my life, but you know, we all, we cross paths and when we move on, um, if that seems to be the case for someone and they feel that they're really they're in need of that connection with maybe that one person, that one individual. Do you think maybe they need to reevaluate that? Because it's not necessarily the person, is it? It's really the message that's the most important thing that this person may share with you. Yeah, I mean, it's not a person. We don't want to follow anyone. We want to learn from someone and have, if they're plugged into the light then we don't look at them as, you know, saints or awakened. They're just ordinary. Everyone's just an ordinary person. Everyone has the same opportunity to awaken their kundalini. It's not always easy to do it on your own. That's all I'm saying. But if you, if you, oh, gosh, I mean, I had such a satori, such a satori just a year after my car accident when I saw a sign that said you can do it. My whole body just went on fire. So sometimes it's just we have to get that message and really feel it and practicing meditation and doing affirmations, things that will be positive. Your teacher at the moment is still Paramahansa Yogananda because that's what touched your heart. That's why you've read it, listened to it hundreds and hundreds of times. And that is every single teacher that has ever been is still part of the one mind, the divine mind. Mm -hmm. It is just that they're plugged in. Their consciousness is still here and it is still available for you. You can, um, you know, you may not have listened to us when we did the Golden Ballroom last Saturday, but if you listen to the replay and you go through that visualisation or have Trevor send it to you, Mm -hmm. you can then 
literally attract all of your lineage that will come to you in that golden ballroom, which is in the eternal. It's a gift that I was given, call it a sitter power or whatever, so that people could enter into their divine dimension for the who is part of their lineage so that they will be out of the Maya and into that themselves. So it, it really, really depends on you, you, your teacher is your higher self. Of course it is, Richard. And not every everyone's going to be attracted. I'm sure that there have been so many lifetimes where I didn't actually have a teacher, but I would still be um, in my pra- – I've remembered so many of my lives where I wasn't enlightened again, but I was still – I was definitely, whatever we do in this particular lifetime, God, your higher self, will absolutely just awaken you if it's required, will bring you to the next step, next step of the way. And if you haven't been, you have been attracted to Yogananda, a Mahasiddha, a great being of light, of compassion, of joy, of humour, of um, just, I mean, we all adore him. Mm-hmm. For a reason, he brought yeah. he brought to us enlightenment to the West. I actually had to um, back down off of one of my uh, thoughts in regards to Paramahansa because I was listening to somebody else who was talking about someone else who came to the United States uh, to share yoga and the whole Kundalini experience, and that they were the first. and And I I I, I had to bite my tongue and I had to say, Hey, it's not about the personality here. Thank God that this person did come here and share that. Whether he was first or not doesn't matter. No, Vivekananda. Yeah, Yeah, he's probably talking about Vivekananda. Sri Ramakrishna's main disciple, who was a very high being of light. He came out here before um, Yogananda was born, I think. Yeah. Or maybe Yogananda was just a kid at the time. But yes, yes. So, but it it makes no difference yeah. who came. <laughs> exactly. It it it, and, and it's like, why why am I going there? I was I talked to myself. Why are you going there? This is irrelevant. <laughs> this is your ego that is trying to create yeah, some, something that you really don't want to be a part of. You don't need yeah. to do anything with, and just let it go, and it's okay. No, that's what we good. were talking about just earlier. Yeah. You know, people's belief systems get hurt and we get reactionary and but at least you were aware of it because you know I I have seen people that (laughs) they've had an enlightened teacher and I've heard them just start raving on to their friends and it's like well even I'd hear hear people talk about my teacher Kundalini and I would say look she's not she's not omniscient she's enlightened yeah you know it's like the divine will give you the wisdom that is need on a need to know basis only Maha sitters and avatars are like able to be multi people can become enlightened doesn't mean they're a Maha city yet or that they're an avatar whereas Yogananda was a Maha sitter Vivekananda was a Maha sitter mm-hmm. absolutely was uh he was he would go into deep samadhi from the moment he was born and he, when he was with Sri Ramakrishna Sri Ramakrishna said to him you know, he, he, they ended up finding out that he goes into Samadhi, the room turns to light. And he just thought because he'd never asked anybody, he thought everyone went to sleep that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that I, I really enjoy uh, in, in reading his his work, there was a period of time when my, my wife and I, uh, who trained with uh, um, uh, Sunyata, um, uh, she was given the, the name Amrita, which is nectar of the goddess. And um, 
having read autobiography many times up to that point, there's that the the tiger the the tiger Swami story, where he goes up against a Bengal tiger by the name of Raja Begum, which is Prince Princess. And I thought I kind of like that. Not the second part, the first part, Raja. <laughs> So that's how I, I says, you can call, call me Raja. And so amongst this group of people that we were associating with back in Phoenix at that time, that was my name. And then when my wife, when Amrita decided to change her name legally, I actually considered that possibility, but I thought, you know what? I, I can keep that as a nickname, but I, I, I like Richard. It, it fits. I'm, I'm good with that. We'll stay with that. And I know that a lot of people make a lot of changes in their lives, whether it's changing their name, whether it's putting a tattoo of whatever symbol or picture or what have you somewhere on their body uh, because it's meaningful to them, wearing certain jewelry or even for that matter, getting piercings, those kinds of things. I've even seen people who will um, uh, shave their heads and color and do things of this nature and uh I used to look at that going, that's just kind of odd. And then I began to realize that, you know what, that's, that is what is, the, that change is what's resonating with them. What are your thoughts about the outward physical appearance of a person? And we'll throw the name in there too, if they want to go by another name. Um, in terms of our transformational process uh, that that's today, Okay, it might change tomorrow, but what about that in in terms of going through that kind of a process as we grow and evolve and transform? That's a really absolutely wonderful topic. I just, gosh, I just love this man. Anyway, Raja, anyway. (laughs) I'll answer to it. I'll have two two, uh, lines of thought on that. Some people, once they've been meditating for a long time, whether they've had a teacher or not, they may have had some, you know, really high experiences and they begin to, their ego, without them even consciously being aware of it, begins to resonate a little bit too strongly and they decide to become a teacher or think they know it all and they might start a yoga studio, whatever they do. And I mean meditation, I'm not talking about the exercise. Mm-hmm. And and so you know, you know, bow to me, I'm blah, blah, blah. So some people can do it because of egotistical reasons because they have genuinely had some um, mystical experiences, but they're not there yet. And the ego, you know, even Shankara said that the ego can just be is so tricky, can really take over. So there's that line of thought. And then there's another line of thought where someone is such a sincere student of their own higher self and they want so much for that freedom and to be reverent and to be respectful and they want to release their past and so that they're not connecting their ego, their self with their past. So then changing their name when they've been divinely guided to and adding a few om mani pami homes or oms on their body tattoo-wise you know, not to show off to the world, not putting it on their forehead, like your wife just put it on her spine where the heart chakra is located, is uh, I think that's a beautiful thing to show reverence to really wanting change and to not get caught up in the past. Uh, I was given a spiritual name um, inwardly and I don't use it. I don't tell anybody what it is. I've been given it. I know who that particular uh, enlightened being was and why I was given it but I don't have piercings or 
tattoos or anything like that because one of the things that I've been extremely guided to do is it's like when Lahiri Mahasaya, when he saw Babaji and Babaji said it's really important that you teach because people think that they can only go to a saint who is who doesn't have sex, who mm-hmm. who doesn't do this, who doesn't do that, and you're a householder. You've got kids. You've got a wife. Yeah. You just work at the local train station. It's really important that you, an ordinary man, can um, teach and be able to teach Kriya Yoga because everyone's thinking that enlightenment can only be for other people. And so my guidance has been I'm this ordinary, irreverent Australian ex-rock singer and um, that anyone can do it. So that is why I I might wear my mala beads sometimes because I feel the power from them, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And, and I think that that's, again, it's wise because uh, not so much because of any outward um, uh, uh, mm, observations, cine- uh, critics uh, might say this, that, or the other thing. And it's not about that. It's more because, uh, and this is what's interesting. Um, I don't know about your relationship with your parents, but my father, who I love dearly and I know fairly well, I know very little, if anything, about his spiritual life, his uh, inner life, his his philosophy, if you will. I know in general, because I had them on this program a couple of years ago, and I was able to interview them. Uh, but my father has always been a very personal, private person when it came to his inner life. And um, what is so interesting is how, especially, again, with that 15 years at the Christian radio station, how people used to judge me and say, you're not saved, you're not ready to meet God. And yet they would always talk about this personal relationship with Jesus. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> how is it that you're able to say that? But you just told me this was a personal relationship. And it's my person being personally related with, having a personal relationship with this Jesus person you speak of. How is it any of your business? And that's kind of how I I look at that when it comes to my father's father's spirituality. It's none of my business. It's his. And if he wants to share it, he will. And if he doesn't, I love him just the same. It doesn't matter. Uh, And yet there are people who are going out there and they're sharing their stories all over the place, which is also okay, right? But it's like, you, I, I kind of put that in the category of people who complain about being persecuted. And it, to me, it's the analogy of them stepping out onto the train tracks and wondering if the train is going to stop for them. And then they claim, <laughs> and then they blame the train if it hits them. You, you know what? I, I, I love that. You, you, I know you've heard this story, but let me repeat it. Sure. Because someone, someone listening may not have heard this story, and I love this story. You know, um, there's a man and he's got full faith in God and it's starting to flood in his town. And it's really coming up, that, that water's really coming up. And so, you know, um, a boat comes, you know, to take him away to save him from the, the flood. And he says, oh, no, 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 God's going to save me. God's going to save me. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm not coming with you. So this would, you know, different people are coming back and forth. Eventually, eventually had to get right up on top of his roof and a helicopter comes and says, come on, we've got a ladder here. Come, we're going to save you. Otherwise, you're going to drown. No, God's going to save me. God's going to save me. And then he drowned. 
<laughs> and then he goes to heaven and Peter's at the pearly gates and Peter's like, what in the buggery? What did you, what, why did you let yourself drown? Because God was going to save me. He said, Well, who do you think sent the boat and the divers and the helicopter, you silly asshole? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that story many, many times. And, and, it, and, and, and it never ceases to amaze me that there are people out there that do that. I even use the concept of, um, I use this analogy um, that I came up with again many years ago. Uh, that there are these two rooms that are connected by a door. And there's a chair in the one room. And there's that which you want. If you want enlightenment, it's in that other room. And if you want a car, it's in that other room. Um, and you are sitting in that chair in that first room and the door is closed. And you're sitting there and you're just saying to God, God, I want, I want, I want, I want. And God keeps telling you, it's on the other side of that door. It's not, you gotta, you, and God, and they're sitting there waiting for God to move them. And that seems to be the case with a lot of people. They're waiting for God to do something. He's already done it. He's given you life. And, um, I, 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 I uh, make that akin to the, uh, the analogy of, of a, 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 a person of faith walking in a huge, beautiful meadow surrounded by trees, and they have their will in their hands, and they're saying, I just want to do God's will, I want to do God's will. They toss it in the air, and God catches it in God's hands and starts to compress it, and his tears are flowing, going, oh my gosh, one of my creation wants to do my will. And now he's the God has crushed. Uh, uh, she has crushed <laughs> the, the 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 their will down into the size of a baseball and rears back and hurls it back at the individual like a ninety mile an hour uh, fastball. Roland Nolan Ryan ninety mile an hour fastball hits them square in the forehead and then says, "Then do something with the life I gave you. I did not. Uh, you are not a puppet on a string being manipulated by forces you do not understand. Do something with the life I've given you." And it's the same. It, it and it comes out to the same thing as the story of the man waiting to be saved from the flood. Uh, you know, we have to do something. You know, uh, you know, we're not going to be cajoled. Uh, it's like we say about listening to that still small voice, right? It doesn't do any good if you don't do anything with it. And we encourage people to do that. And go to your website. That website once again. TheMysticalExperience.com. But we do have a gift for your listeners. Oh, what would that be? That would be uh, <laughs> the Magic of Affirmation Power Book, Magnetic Creative Visualization, uh, Audio, uh, a few of my songs, um, uh, the Turbocharged Goal Setting in Action Planner I did with Bob Proctor. And... Um, and this will be available through your website. Through uh, michelleblood.com forward slash tell me your story oh, from Raja. Michelleblood, <laughs> M-I-C-H-E-L-E-B-L-O-O-D.com forward slash tell me your story. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, that will be the link that we will put up for folks. And they'll still be able to get to all of the rest of your website, even from there. Uh, to find out more about you, to get more of the materials. You've got music. We actually, in our last interview, our last program, we peppered the program with your songs. Uh, I just, I found them very intriguing, very fun to listen to. Uh, kind of catchy little tunes that sometimes just stay in your head for days. 
And uh, that's not a bad thing either because we want to fill our heads, if you will, our minds with some of that good stuff that will help us to continue moving forward and uh, helping others as well as helping ourselves. And we thank you for helping us here on the program. Tell me your story, Michelle, Michelle Blood, uh, for uh, sharing with us the insights uh, regarding being human and, and what it's going to take for each of us to continue that awakening, that transformation uh, to the next level. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm thrilled, excited, and uh, very anxious in one sense, in a good way, if you can be anxious in a good way, um, to see my own transformation uh, down the road here. I mean, God, I've got another, I've got another life left of 40 years. I got to live. I'm going to live to be a hundred and hopefully still doing these programs and um, saying, Hey folks, it's possible. We can do it. We can, and we will. And in many cases we are. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the good work that you're doing and say hi to your beautiful wife, even though I don't know her yet. I will. You will. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, do, I do want, for the sake of our listeners, if I may, I would like to ask you the three questions I like to ask all of my guests at the end of interviews, even returning guests, because sometimes the answers change. I so if you've got the time to do that, let me just uh, put them forth to you. Uh, and the first one is, who is Michelle Blood? Michelle Blood is <laughs> a spiritual being who happens to have had a great change in her life through a near-fatal car accident and now from her experience of that life teaches people that their purpose in life is to be awakened, to be happy, to be free, and that all things are possible to them. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? To simply be a clear channel for that light to transmit and release suffering in this world and for people to awaken. And finally, what is your life's purpose? To be a clear channel of light and to help release suffering in this world and help people awaken. <laughs> and I thank you so much for joining us on this anniversary program. And, Happy uh, anniversary! Woo! Thank you very much. And I uh, look forward to having you back again in the not-too-distant future to, to uh, enlighten the rest of us uh, again on another wonderful topic of, of being human and moving forward and transforming our lives and the lives of others. Uh, I'm Richard Dugan, and I also want to thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast podcast, love to love.